My name is Joanna from Walsh over here. Ellie, thank you so much for asking me. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm very um, humbled and, and grateful today at the same time. Um, you know, I always say the same thing when I uh, try to, um, is that uh, it's such a privilege and an honor to share my story um, for a couple of reasons, but the biggest of which is that I get to remember what I was like. Because um, I don't want to forget that. It's very important for me. Um, and then I also get to talk about what I'm like today. And usually I get too wrapped up in what I was like because I get kind of like this vicarious thrill of you know, reliving some of those wonderful times, I guess. But um, hopefully I won't do that. We'll see how that works. But, um, you know, um, I was also this morning, I, was, I, I woke up thinking about character defects. I don't know why, but, and so I was reading uh, Step 6 in the um, AA 12 and 12, and, and maybe some of I'll read that because it was really interesting for me. But, um, and I guess I just had a, an OA birthday recently, so I think that's another reason why I was in a period of reflection about, you know, what the year was like and my character defects and had any of them magically been removed forever and, you know, gone off to the ozone, but sadly that's probably not going to happen. But what it was like, what really briefly was, um, you know, I came into this world uh, two pounds, three ounces. I was three months early. Um, I, was, I was almost born on a bar stool. Um, my, my mom was... Uh, she was at happy hour uh, after work, which is what she loved to do, and her water broke, and she was like, oh my, this is not supposed to happen. And, uh, you know, I, I, I was born, and um, the doctor said, you know, he's probably not going to live. So um, if, he has, if he lives, it's a 50-50 chance, but wouldn't count on it because he, had, he told my mother that she had a daughter the year before me, and she weighed three pounds, two ounces, he, heavier than I was, and she didn't make it. So the chances that I would make it were pretty slim, and so... She, uh, you know, she prayed through the night, and, you know, I made it, um, and for the first seven years, um, I was very sickly. Um, I couldn't gain weight. <laughs> but sadly, that didn't last. <laughs> and at seven, a couple of things happened. Um, it was like the perfect storm. Uh, she got sober. Uh, she married a man who uh, I didn't like. And um, I discovered chocolate and peanut butter. And those were the two things that became my lord and master. And, you know, I say this um, not to offend anybody, but I talk about food because for me it was older as anonymous. And I have to remember it was chocolate. I have to remember it was Duncan Hines. I have to remember it was peanut butter. I'm not going to say it was some powdery, sugary, cocoa-like substance. I'm going to say what it is. Just, that's just what it is for me. Um, and, you know... If it offends you, I'm sorry. I want you to pray for me. Pray for all the wonderful things because I want to rid, you to rid yourself of your resentment. And um, pray for all the things that you would want for yourself and then I'll have the best week I ever had. <laughs> so, um, you know, so I discovered these two things and as I said, she married this man and he, you know, blessed his heart. He, um, he really wanted me to be the son that he had lost in his previous marriage um, because of the divorce. So he wanted me to be this, you know, car mechanic, jock, football star, of whatever. You can look at me and tell that did not happen. <laughs> not play football at all. Um, but he tried, and he would um, do everything he could to make me into the man that he felt he wanted as a son. Um, and, you know, it just didn't work out for him. Um, you know, I was very, I, I loved my mother. I had a very strong relationship with her. Um, and I knew from a very early age that I wasn't like 
other boys um, my own age. I didn't do what they did. I didn't want to do what they did. Well, there's a few things I wanted from them, but... <laughs> anyway, so, you know, he would take me out to the field and he would say, we're going to throw a football. I'm like, really? <laughs> Seriously. He's like, I want you to go down there, far down to the end of the field, I'm going to throw this football to you. Now, I thought he said, I'm going to throw this football at you, because I knew as that football came flying at me at 500 miles an hour, it was going to hit me and hurt. So he would throw the football, and I would just kind of step out of the way and let it fall out. And we would do this for a four or five times when he would get disgusted, and he would just quit. So that was my game. And... You know, so that was what set that up, and um, it was just a push-pull for a lot. Now, I, I ate over him a lot. You know, I had a lot of resentment over him, um, and he tried to take my mother away from me. I had a lot of resentment about that. Um, and so I got to be, um, you know, and my parents really did what they could. They, they, my mom became sober, and they started speaking at meetings. They were very well-known and went all over the country. And so, But I knew that was my time to eat. So I would, you know, go to the store and get all these things. I would steal from my mom's purse. I would, you know, lie to the checkout clerk. I would do all these things. I would eat out of the garbage when they were gone. I would do everything I could to get my fix because I, I ate because of what it says in our literature. I ate because I liked the effects produced by food. I liked that feeling of relief. I liked that feeling of that everything was calm for the moment, that I could get through it. I could get through the bully that was down the street terrorizing me every day of my life. I could get through being alone because I was alone a lot, because I was kind of an only child. Um, and it wasn't that I had a bad life. My parents loved me. They did love me, even though my stepfather wanted a football job. But he did love me. He, he, did, he just did the best he could, and that was just it. So my, my parents really loved me, and they did everything they could to make sure that I was, um, you know, safe. And they also wanted me to be thin, and because they thought that was better. And so they would take everything out of the house. They would cook these absent meals of, you know, steak with all the fat trimmed off and non-fat cottage cheese and cherry tomatoes. And it was just a god-awful stuff, of, you know, that I can remember. But they did what they could. They took all the seats out of the house. But I was a liar, cheat, and a thief. And I would run to the store and do all these things. Um, I stole. I got caught. And, uh, you know, if you ever have gotten caught when you're a child and your mother has to come down in curlers, my mother was my mother, who was the vainest woman I've ever known, bless her heart, but to come have her have to come down and call her to get me out of this, you know, predicament. Ooh, the look in her eyes I will never forget. You know, the shame and disgust and sheer, you know, um, anger. But I never did it again. Um, but, you know, that was what I needed to do to get my fix. So <clears throat> I did all those things. I got to... Um, I was 200 pounds, I'm 5'4 and 3'8, so I've never been any taller. Uh, very important if you're 5'4 to have the 3'8. Because when you're 5'4, every little bit is important. So um, I was 200 pounds, I wore two outfits that I, um, that I felt I looked good in. It was always about what looked good. I, I was very vain. I wanted people to notice me, but not notice me because, and so what I would do is I would cover everything up because if I covered it up, I looked good for myself on the outside, then you would obviously like me. So, and that's what I did. I covered everything. I, I matured um, as a, a boy very early, so I had hair on my chest when I was probably in uh, junior high school, and I was afraid because people teased me. So I put t-shirts on to cover that up. I put long sleeves on, and I put long um, sweaters on, and just looked at, guys, 150 degrees on. Aren't you hot? 
And I say, oh no, I can lower my body temperature. That will. That's, I mean, I just did what I had to do to, for self-preservation on a daily basis. I wore, as I said, those two colors. I wore corduroys because, you know, they kind of hid things, I thought. And, um, but my legs rubbed together in the crotch and so it wore off all the corduroy, which, so then you could see. It was really kind of a delightful look. Um, and, but that's, that's what I did. I got, um, I got into college. I was 200 pounds. Um, and through a um, terrible uh, kind of a class, I, I um, found this, what I would call now a pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization where I finally realized that people were laughing at me rather than laughing with me. Um, and because I, I just realized that, and, and now at that point, as I said, I was 200 pounds. I was now consuming uh, three quarter pound bags of M&Ms a day because you could put those in your pocket, put a handful in, it would dissolve, and you could have chocolate in your mouth. And that was the most exciting thing for me. And it would take the edge off moment to moment to moment because all I could do was reach in, throw it in. No one really saw me eating with a wrapper. It, it had all these little great things. Um, and then I got to the point where um, this is where it ended, where um, hopefully is that, um, you know, I loved the taste of chocolate so much, so I would, you know, my parents would buy that. Nestle quick stuff to put in milk, right? You would chocolate milk. And, but see, I like the chocolate powder, so I would scoop it up from the bottom, and then I realized that I wanted that powder. That's what I wanted. I didn't care about the milk. That was just whatever. So I wanted the powder, and so I thought, how could I get this powder? And so I had this brilliant idea of the same, this powder was almost like chocolate brown mix. And so I would go to the store and buy these boxes of brownie mix, and I would eat it with a spoon out of the box and chew it, but you have to learn how to breathe. If you breathe the wrong way, it's just brown smoke everywhere. <laughs> and that happens many times. You know, you can choke it. So, um, um, so that's what I can see. Now, after I had this pitiful and incomprehensible visualization, and I wish I could tell you that I went to Orizonas, but I did not, um, I just went on a three-year diet. And it was probably the last diet I hope I ever go on, but I just stopped cold turkey, those, you know, the chocolate. And I was also drinking, oh, I forgot, I was also drinking, you know, two to four liters of Pepsi a day. So I stopped all of that. And three years later, um, I had lost 75 pounds. And uh, someone said to me, oh my God, you look great. What have you done? And I said, I'm on a diet. And they went, wow. And I said, yes, yeah, for three years. Three years I've been on this diet. And I deserve to celebrate. Now, I knew I couldn't have chocolate and Pepsi. I knew I couldn't do that again. So, we went to the store, and I bought vanilla cake mix and 7 up. <laughs> there it is. And I knew in the back of my mind I was in trouble, but, you know. So, anyway, um, I know I was going down a bad road. So, I didn't, but I didn't go to Overzonis, and I called someone, and here's what God worked in my life. Um, I called someone to speak to his roommate, and he got on the phone before, he said, oh, before I get to whoever this guy's name was, um, he said, let's, uh, let me tell you, I'm, I belong to this program called Overzonis. And I went, oh. I said, well, that's good. And he said, um, he said, well, I know that you've been struggling with your weight, and, you know, you've lost a lot of weight, and he kept talking about overnight on my plate. He goes, I'm going to meet him. I'm like, well, that's great for you. 
He said, well, why don't you come with me? And I said, no, I'm busy for the rest of my life and yours. <laughs> um, thank you very much, though. He said, no, really, this is a great program. I'm like, I, I went when I was 12 and didn't work for me. He goes, well, you're not 12 anymore. I'm like, thank you for putting that out. But um, I really, you know, and I'm hemming and hawing, and he's pushing, he's selling this, you know, really working it. Finally, my people pleasing kicked in, and I, I went. With, I said, I'm going, but I'm taking my own car. Um, I'll meet you there. And I went to a meeting, and it was Temple Beth Alm on Wednesday night, um, on July 2nd. And I went to this meeting, and all I remember of my first meeting was that the whole room was orange. The whole room was orange. Um, and it was set up for bingo, and it offended me. <laughs> a whole room of orange. I mean, really, you couldn't have any complimentary color, you couldn't have anything. <laughs> so, um, and I don't remember, uh, all I remember is that he introduced me to every person in the room, which mortified me because I wasn't going to stay, I was only going there for him. Um, and he introduced me to every person as a newcomer, which that really, I was like, that really started to piss me off. And I'm like, you know, resentment big time. Um, and so I stayed for that meeting and um, I heard someone say their absence, I heard the speaker, I think, say their absence was three meals a day and that's what And I thought I could do that. So that's what I took as my absence. And I stayed. Um, only because I was like, oh, I know I have nowhere else to go. And I'll just see how this goes. So I stayed, but you know, I didn't really work the program. Uh, he appointed himself to me as my sponsor, which I was like, I don't need one of those really. But, um, and he said, I want, to, I want you to call me every day. And I said, enough, I have nothing to say to you every day. Um, he said, I want you to call and check in. I'm like, really, I don't. I don't have anything. I'm, you know, I'm really busy. He said, I want you to just call and, you know, tell me how you're doing. Report the weather. So I did. I called him and I'd say, it's 6.30, it's 58 degrees out, goodbye. And hang on. That worked for about three weeks until he finally released me with love. <laughs> and then the sec second sponsor came along. Now the second sponsor was more like me, like, and knew about me before I even knew things that I was going to do. And he, uh, you know, he, but see, the only reason I got this sponsor, I'm going to be completely honest, is because when I got into this program, I wanted to change it from day one. I thought, you, were just, you just did this all wrong. <laughs> and so I knew that there was got to be a power structure. So I'm searching around, searching around, searching around. And I found out that you had this board of directors. And I was like, huh, that's it. That's where you have to do it. And he'd get on the board of directors and then be president and then change everything and it'd be fine. We all, all need some help. So I knew that to get on this board, you had to complete, complete steps four and five. And, so, and have a year. So I was like, okay, well, I need this one because i got to give him my info. I didn't know I could give it to anybody else, but I, for some reason, I felt I had to get to the sponsor. So I thought, well, I'm get this sponsor. And I, you know, he, we got to the point, it was about a year, and I'm like, oh, i got to get this done. You know, so I said, oh, I need to do this. And so he goes, well, come on, let's do it. You know, when do you want to come? And I made an appointment, then I got lost, and I, on purpose, and then I, no, I didn't lost on purpose. I just, I, got off the wrong freeway. I was just a mess. And then so finally I made it again. And I had been working on it. He kept asking about it. I'm like, oh, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Brilliant, you know, dissertation of this. And I finally get there and um, I show it to him. I pull it out. And he goes, it's one sheet, a paragraph. And he goes, where's the rest of it? And I said, that's it. Beautiful. Nice written. All, no grammatical errors. Typed up. Everything. He said, oh, no, baby. That's not how we do it. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's how I did it. He says, well, you must have more resentment. And I said, I'm only 21. Who do I have to resent? <laughs> I don't, I've been alive long enough to resent anybody. He goes, no, no. <laughs> no, no, no. So I think he pulled every shirt out of his closet and he ironed every single one as he pulled my inventory out of me verbally. 
Poor guy. Um, and so as soon as we finished that, I was like, wait, four, did five, done, don't need him anymore, stopped calling him, just ignored him. And, you know, after a while, he just got tired of, you know, putting his hand out there. So I got on this board, and of course, as people who get on the board know, you can't change anything on it. <laughs> and at that time, there were some hardcore people on that board, and they saw me coming, they were like, you have, like, that much happiness. No, you're not doing nothing. So um, I stood on there for four years, still tried, didn't get anywhere, but... Um, and I sponsored myself for the next 15 years. Um, I didn't want to sponsor. I didn't feel like anybody really had what I wanted. I don't know what I wanted, but I think they had it anyway. Um, and I played around with it, but I came to meetings, and I was passionate. That's the best I could do. So 15 years later, I was speaking at this meeting. Well, when it was over there. And uh, that same second sponsor who took me to the four and five, I was speaking at this meeting. I finished... I think it was a fabulous pitch, actually. And he got to me and said, I can tell you, you don't, you're not being sponsored, are you? Yeah. <laughs> really? Seriously? <laughs> How dare you? Um, but what could I say? I was like, no. He said, well, I'm going to sponsor you again. I'm like, well, oh, I didn't even have to ask. He just appointed himself, you know. And something broke in me. And something broke in me, and I was ready to be sponsored differently. And so I did call him. Not perfectly, but I did call him every day, and I was willing. Um, so that's what recovery was like. Um, how long do I have? Uh, okay. Um, and so, you know, that's basically um, what happened, And except that, you know, what I will tell you is the first six months of my recovery, let me back up a little bit, is, is talk about my spiritual experience, was that, you know, I got in, and I became absent. I took my first commitment at a meeting, um, service was always a big deal for me um, because I knew that would get me to the meeting when I wouldn't go any other time, any other reason. So I took this microphone commitment and I went every Sunday night to the log cabin and I took that microphone and I dragged it in my car, whether the car was working or not. I was just dragging this piece of microphone. Um, and uh, I did what I could. I, I memorized all the things that we say, God couldn't would, would if you were sought, blah, 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 all the prayers. I took my chips. I, I, I was, you know semi-honest as I possibly could about, you know, being, oh, yeah, I read that. Yeah, I read that. Once in there, yeah, but, yeah, that, that right there. Yeah, I read it. Um, and, you know, but I, I just kind of skirted around the edge of the program um, for those first six months. And finally, all my um, friends were, um, you know, recovering so gratefully that I came in with, you know, they're all pledging those happy destiny. Ha, 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 they're all laughing and happy. They pissed me off. So, um, and I was defiant because they were all having spiritual experiences. They were all being so happy and they were joyous. And I'm like, whatever, liars. Um, and so I was, now I don't think I did this on purpose. I might have, but, you know, we used to go to fellowship after meetings. And so what I would do is I'd go with them. And now they didn't, you know, they were all like very strict about their absence. They had white flowers and sugar and all this stuff. Well, I still ate recreational sugar. So what I would do is I would go to, fellowship with them and I order a vanilla milkshake. And because that was that was okay in my absence. And you know, I mean they would just watch this vanilla milkshake come through the back of the room. <laughs> and they would be talking to me, but they'd be looking at the vanilla milkshake it was going in my and they were just like amazed, you know. I think they were all just kind of secretly like, Whoa, you know. Um, and so um, and that worked for probably 
I don't know, 15 or 16 years, and then, um, you know, one day, you should never say things to your sponsor that you really don't want to do, because <laughs> I said to my sponsor, you know this recreational sugar, I don't know, maybe it's not a good idea. And he goes, huh, why don't we not do it for today? I'm like, oh, I didn't really want to do that. But, and then it was like a week, and then it was like 30 days, and then it was 60, and then before you know it, it was, you know, why don't we not do it? And I'm like, oh, okay. Um, and so... So my spiritualness, so I, I was driving in my car and I was really angry, really angry, you know, defiant. Because I didn't, my concept of God didn't really exist because I was never baptized, I was never put in any kind of organized religion. My parents thought about what I was going to be and then I was like, oh, whatever, do whatever you want to do. So I didn't, and, and I thought, you know, God would love me anyway because of, you know, how I was. And so I, um, I'm in the car and I'm like, okay, fine, I want you to show me a sign that you're there. And so I said, I want you to show me this big sign. It has to be big. So I'm going to, so I stopped the car and the main directory slid out from underneath the, um, the seat. And I'm like, nope, not big enough. So I'm like, okay, fine. I'm going to open up this main directory and there has to be right here, right now, where I am. I was on Washington Boulevard at the, right in front of the DMV and the Clare Foundation was across the street and there was a meeting at 12 o'clock. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> okay. But you know, I think at that moment I was finally willing to accept that there was a higher power, and then it changed for me. And I was able to hear things for the first time. So that was kind of what I would call my spiritual experience. Now, my journey of that has been, you know, getting to know my higher power because I didn't really know, I, I you know, I just didn't think that God would love me. Um, and so it's been a long journey. But everything that I've ever that's ever happened to me in life has happened because of my higher power and it's been better than I could have imagined. There have been tragedies in my life, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, the first year in my, my recovery, uh, uh, my, my mom was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And um, she was able to give me my first candle um, at a meeting. And that was magical for me because she told me that someday I'll be able to walk into a meeting of over anonymous, sorry, uh, with my head held by. And I do. I do. Uh, and the funny thing is that she gave me a candle. And, you know, we thought this was hysterical, but she knew my love of M&M's. So she bought this huge three-quarter-pound bag of M&M's with a no-single tape on it. <laughs> and we thought this was funny, but you should have seen the air suck out of them. They were, again, they weren't watching me. They were watching the M&M bag. Where it's going? What we're going to do with that? You know, who's going to get it? Where will it go? So, um, you know, so that's, um, but everything in my life, I mean, I, I always say that, you know, things that happen in my life are because God wants them to happen. Um, and that was because, you know, when I, uh, about seven years ago, I decided, you know, I think I want to go back to school. I'm going to just search on the Internet. And if there's a program for online BA programs, in leadership, I'll do it. There was. Well, if I get in, then I'll go. I did. And I finished that in 13 months. I'm like, okay, if there's a master's program that I applied to and they accept me, I'll go. They accept me the same day. So I did that. I'm like, okay, well, there's one more degree I could do, but I'm sure not going to do this, so I'm going to try it anyway. And I applied to a doctorate program, and they accepted me. And I'm like, Okay, God, this is what you want me to do. And I did it, and I did it every day. And there are times that I called my sponsor and I said, I can't do this. I'm not smart enough. And he said, God didn't bring me here to let you fail. Just do the assignment and call me when it's done. 
I'm like, but I can't do it. Just do it and call me when it's done. So though, that is what God has been like for me. God has been loving, um, and it's just been a journey for me. Um, you know, I've just been as honest as I could possibly be. I'm in this program, and I wish I could tell you that in 27 years, um, every day I wake up and the birds are singing and everything, you know, you know Dorothy's out there, yay! And, but no, you know, some days, you know, I get up and I'm resentful and angry, and I call my sponsor and I say, I'm resentful. And he goes, well, that's okay. You can be resentful. What are you going to do about it? Um, but you know, it, it is, it's been a wonderful journey, and um, I'm so grateful, and thanks for letting me share. Time for questions only. There is no sharing at this meeting. If you need to share, please do so with any of us after the meeting. Also, please remember that the opinions of the leader are my own and not those of Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. When asking questions, you need not identify yourself. Uh, please remember, if you ask a question, your voice may be audible on the OA podcast. Um, okay, so... I can't restate that question. What do they do? I don't have any experience. Yeah. <laughs> Can I give you some experience, strength, and hope about um, doing service and principles before personalities? Um, huh. Well, I can give you two phrases, the um, LA Intergroup Board and the birthday party. Um, um, you know, I guess that's really hard for me because I guess one of my character defects is, um, you know, that I want people to do things as I would do them and to that level. So... It's, it, I mean, that's just what it is. Um, and so it's hard for me when people don't live up to my expectations. Um, and so I have to, you know, and what I have to do is realize that they're doing the best they can. It may not be the best that I think they can, but um, that's irrelevant. Um, they're doing the best they can. And I have to work on it myself because it, it's something that I see in them that I need to work on. Um, it's it's just my perfectionism, it's my ego, um, you know, it's, it's my vanity, it's all of those things, and, you know, then I have to sometimes call my sponsor when I want him to tell me the things that, you know, the program things, or other times, I don't want him to tell me anything, so I don't call him about it, you know, because I want to sit in it. I, that's just the honest truth in it. Sometimes I like my character defects, you know, and I want to be resentful at them, and so, but I have to work, but I work through it. And then I like, oh, I can't live with this. I know what this is going to turn out to be. You know, I can't afford that. You know, I can't afford that resentment. I can't afford that perfectionism. I can't afford that pride. So I have to work through it. And I just have to let it go. And it's not easy. It isn't easy. To, you know, it happens at work and it happens in OA as well. And I just have to, you know, I'm powerless over them. And my life is unmanageable. I'm powerless over my perfectionism. And my life is unmanageable. I have to work the steps on it as best I can and let it go. And that's not easy, and that's the best answer I can give you. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much. Um, could you talk a bit what you do on a daily basis for program, and if you find yourself sort of getting up on the wrong side of the bed, so to speak, how do you work to turn that around? 
Um, can I talk about um, my daily practice and if I wake up um, and on the wrong side of bed, what do I do? Well, I would say, you know, there are several days that I do wake up on the wrong side of bed and I have to, you know, and, and the, the beauty of this is, is that, you know, before I would have to call my sponsor um, from home or when I got to work and I would forget or I'd get busy or anything like that, but then I, a couple months ago I bought this new car and it had a Bluetooth in it. And that is the best thing for me because when I get in the car, I can call him from the car on my way to work and then it's like a no-brainer. And so I have to work through it and I have to call him and be honest and say, I'm having a bad day today, I'm rushed, I'm feeling fearful, because it's really all about fear for me. It's really all about fear. Someone's not going to like me, I'm not going to do it well enough, um, and therefore I shouldn't do it at all, or they're kicking me off because if they did it, if they didn't, if they did it my way, then I'd look better. You know, so it's always about that kind of stuff. Um, and, and then I have to just be honest and talk to him about it. And, and then he's like, okay, let's work discussing it. You're powerless over this person at work. You know, whatever it is, it's like he just he just goes back with me through the steps. I mean, that's the only answer that he has. And he's like, where's God in all this? I'm like, I don't know. You tell me. You know, like, I want him to tell me. But, um, you know, at, I can tell you at over, you know, as, as many years as I've been in the program, it usually comes quicker than it did, you know, in the beginning. So that's, that's basically what I do. Oh, uh, huh. yeah. Can you exercise in your program? No. Oh, exercise. Well, okay. I hate exercise. I just hate it. And sometimes what I have to do is call my sponsor and say, and get to get to be very basic about it and say, I'm, going, I'm committing to exercise this week. And the, the reason I do that is, you know, I, when I make a commitment to him, he says, which I believe this, it's like making commitment to him and God, because I'm saying it out loud. And so when I say to him in the morning, I'm going to exercise, I'm going to be on the treadmill tonight, then I go. If I don't, and I get through the phone call without saying it, either because I didn't want to exercise, and I knew what I was doing, or just because I know that I'm not going to, you know, that is what it is too. But um, I, I just do it on a daily basis. Um, I don't do it perfectly. Um, I get on the treadmill, I do the 30 minute, an hour now on the treadmill, I try to do the machines, I mean that's just basically the best I can do on a daily basis, so that's how I do it, I have to commit to it sometimes, because if I left my own devices I'd be a flaw. Robin. What do I do when I feel the cravings for food return or any any kind of character defect probably coming back? Um, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I, as, as I talked about the brown mix, and so that was like tough. It was like the biggest love of my life. Um, you know, luckily I've been blessed in this program to um, have what it talks about in the literature, where um, I don't, I, I kind of, I kind of recoil as if you know, from a hot flame with the food, but I don't have any um, fear about it. I don't have any um, real anger about it either. Like, I make these brownies uh, probably a couple of times a month for people at work and for potlucks, and, and I can make it in my house, and I don't care. I can have it in my house. I have a candy bowl in my office, and, and it's always full of candy, and I buy it every week, and I fill it. People, like, as they're eating it out of their jar, they're like, how can you have this in your office? I'm like, it's not my food. You know, it's just not. It doesn't call to me because I know what that life is like. And so whenever I have those cravings, I know what that life is like if I give in to them. 
You know, my mother used to say this um, all the time. She goes, Dave, you can do whatever you want to do if you're willing to pay the price. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Whatever that is. You know, if you want to not exercise today, then I'm not going to, you know, I won't get the benefit of doing that. Um, and when my character defects come up, they're very hard to get rid of, you know, in the moment because I feel justified in having them. I feel justified in being, you know, resentful, prideful, egotistical, vain, all of those things, and fearful. I feel very justified in having them. And sometimes I have to breathe, and my sponsor said, in that moment of breathing, I'm letting God in, and maybe I'll take contrary action. Sometimes I won't. I have to be honest. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I send that email because they deserve it. And then I'm like, oh, I should have sent that email. Sometimes I write the email and I don't send it. And those are the times when I think my higher power is taking care of me. But, you know, there's a a mix of it. I wish I could tell you that, you know, I was perfect every day, but I'm not. Um, And and all I do is sometimes I have to just avoid doing it so that, you know, if I want that certain food and I know it's not good for me, I have to say, okay, I'll have it in five minutes. I'll have it in five more minutes, in five more minutes, in five more minutes. Some days are like that. There isn't a magic answer and I have to pray about it. Thank you. Um, the way you describe your three away food life, you know, the chocolate, the burnt, you know, all of that, was, I can really experience it in terms of it being like a drug and it taking you away, doing mm-hmm. what you needed it to do, that, you know, when you needed it. How do you go into that? I think you described it as awe. Uh-huh. You know, how do you get that feeling now? How can you feel that peace that you got from your drugs in your life now? Uh, so the question was, is, um, with the chocolate and those substances, I used to feel that awe moment, of, you know, that release, um, and how do, I, how do I accomplish that now in recovery? Well, you know, it's about living this program. It, it, it's just, I mean, it comes from realizing that I can't be, you know, that was really being angry with myself um, and eating those things to just to, to fill the hurt and the, the fear and the anger and all those things that were coming through. And now it's like I can't be angry and resentful at the same time. I mean, I'm angry and grateful at the same time. So I have to get into gratitude. And some days it's easier than others, you know, and so I have to remember, you know, I did all these things in my life. I accomplished a lot of things. I'm loved by people in this program. I'm loved by people at work. I'm loved by my family. And that's what gets me through. And it's like, do I want to pay that price of having that, you know, 30 seconds off, you know, that release? Or do I want to have a longer release uh, and live this spiritual life? And it really comes down to God. I mean, God got me to this place. You know, I should have been dead with eating all of that crap. I should still be out there or I should be dead. One of those two, I don't know. But I'm not. So I, I have to believe that I'm here for a reason. And to do those other things isn't what God wants for me. So I have to choose to live this life. Nick? Um, can you speak a little bit about acceptance? Hmm. <laughs> 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 that corner of the room. Um, <laughs> You know, as you can tell, I, you know, I'm not perfect. I keep saying that. Um, and acceptance is hard for me. You know, I want what I want when I want it. Um, I think I deserve it. I've worked hard for it. Give it to me or get out of my way. 
and those are some, you know, that that's just how, you know, I felt. Um, my And I was brought up by a woman who, she got a lot of things because of who she was. She was glamorous. She was loved by a lot of people in the other programs. Um, I wanted to be that. I didn't want to be, you know, with the long nails and the hair and all that, but, um, well, maybe it is. Anyway, but um, she... You know, so I, I wanted to emulate that. I wanted what she, you know, what she got. And I thought, and how she got it was, she was um, sarcastic, she was funny, she, um, and she, she just, she was a persona. She was just bigger than life. Um, and she got things, and so I tried to get things that way. Um, but I also felt like I deserved them. Um, and so um, there are times when, you know, yeah, I don't get what I want. And I'm like, well, that's really messed up. That's not right. Um, but then when I, what happens is on the other side, I look back on it, and what I did get was better than I could have imagined. And, you know, you can't see that in the moment. I, I can't see it in the moment. I shouldn't say you. I, I can't see it in the moment. So in the moment, I'm like, I didn't get that job. I, I applied that. Here's the thing. Here's an example. I wanted to go to Wisconsin. I still do. I'm going to go one day. You guys are going. I'm going to go. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wanted to be with my family. And I applied, three years ago, I applied to 80 jobs in Wisconsin. And I didn't get one. I, didn't, I got one interview. But I didn't pass the paper screen on most of them. But I was, will, I was self-will. I was going. I was going to go. And I had to get into acceptance that it wasn't supposed to be. And sure enough, I stayed. I got into this doctorate program. I finished it. And then... You know, three weeks after I finished that, I got this incredible job that I couldn't, and they just handed it to me. They said, oh, you've never been an administrator of this college. We're going to make you one. I'm like, whoa, whoa, okay, all right. So I had to get into acceptance that this is where I'm supposed to be. And it doesn't happen easy because I will call my sponsor on the day and said, no, this needs to happen this way today. And he said, no, baby, it doesn't, it's not going to happen that way. You know, it may not happen for a while. You just got to get into acceptance. And that's not easy for me. And then he gives me good used to do it in writing. So that's that's the answer. Carol. Um, can you talk about the terminal inside the name? Okay. Um, can you talk about all the years coming? Go ahead. Go ahead. Yes, I am terminally unique because you know as. As I said, you know, I deserve a lot of things in this life, and I think that I'm special. And they should just, you know, like, I'm, I'm about ready to, my, the job that they gave me was for a year. And they said, you know, after a year we're going to create this permanent job, and it's going to be a lot more money, and, you know, I'm like, well, they should just give it to me. I shouldn't have to apply for it again. I've done, done it for a whole year. Um, they love me. So they should just give it to me, and they shouldn't make me go through all the motions. And what if I don't get it? And then the fear kicks in, and you know, but you know, so. And I, I'm totally unique in that, you know, I think that other rules shouldn't apply to me. They should apply to you, but they shouldn't apply to me. Um, and you know, so and if I'm completely honest, you know, sometimes I sit in that that corner and um, I judge a little bit, and I talk a little bit, and I shouldn't. But I'm kind of like, well, the rules don't apply to me. But they do apply to me. You know, and I try not to do it on a daily basis. I try to be better at it. And I try to nudge the person next to me and say, you can't, can't do that. Um, but, you know, some days the terminal uniqueness kicks in a little bit more. And, you know, then I have to admit it to my sponsor and to, you know, people around me and just try to be the best person I can. So that's the best answer I can give you. Always. Thank you, Tony. Would you talk about the 
My my experience with the men's um, is that you know I uh, as I said you know when I did this first inventory and I had a paragraph and I said I didn't have anybody to resent because I was too young. I realized that I did have a lot of resentments um, and I did have a lot of things to be to make amends for. Um, you know I uh, I worked as a uh, an example. I worked for a, a hospital when I was like 15 or 16. I was a candy striper volunteer whatever. And uh, I, I got to wheel the ice cream cart, you know, with little desserts and everything through the, and give it to patients. And, but I didn't want them to have the ones that I wanted, so I would just kind of hide those and only put out the ones that I didn't really care about. And then I would eat all the ice cream and make all these great floats. And, and I, like, stole cookies out of the, you know, hospital. And I did all kinds of things. And I worked at an uh, answering service, and I would... You know, it was the cord board and I would be eating. You know, I don't know what you do for eight hours when you answer. It was like the best job. And I'd be eating and sometimes I worked at doctor's exchange and when the phone was ringing, I'd just say, oh, whatever. And hang up on it. How do you make amends for that? I don't know if they were emergency. They'll play call back. But, um, you know, I mean, and I had to talk to my sponsor about some of those things and we had to, you know, be creative about the amends. Like there was a... Um, and amends where I had charged a lot of money on my dad's gas card, and then he died. Well, he died, and then I charged it, you know, because he was dead. They weren't going to come after me. We had the same name, but so what? And she died. So then I had to do a different amends. I had to, you know, pay Chevron a lot of money to, you know, do all that kind of stuff, and I had to make it. Some of the amends are still ongoing, you know. Some of them, but I'm ready to make them, you know, and I have to be willing to make them no matter how long it takes and it may take to the end of my life you know um, some of them I've paid many times over I've paid Apple Computer many times over for defaulting on a loan many times over from collections and all of those so I mean some of those amends are, are just creative and different but I'm still making them so are we yeah, you know, my did I come to a piece with my stepdaddy for you guys? You know, I the piece is, is that I realized that he um, didn't get he got robbed of having the son from his previous marriage. He had a son when he uh, from another marriage when he married my mom, and he never got to see them. The the wife, his ex wife said, "I don't ever want you in their life again," um, and so. What I realized with the inventories was that he, he wanted a son, and he wanted me to be the son that he lost. I mean, I couldn't be that, and I, I kind of felt sorry for him, and I, I had to forgive him, because he really, he just did the best he could. You know, he, he made a shirt that said, Presby Stepdad. I mean, he was just crazy. He just, you know, but he showed it in, in other weird ways, and, and, you know, he always tried to, to be a father, um, even though I had a father um, that was alive. And so I just had to, like, say, you know, he did the best he can and love him to the best of my ability. Now, he died the day before my mother died, which was a totally unrelated incident. So it was a really bizarre kind of a situation. Um, and I really realized he loved my mother so much that in that way, I could love him because he loved her. So, and that's it. So thank you. Thank you.